The following is a live presentation of the Commercial Appeal. Just to say how proud I am of our guys and, and the response that they had after after the last two weeks. You know, we really challenged them uh, you know, this week in practice. And, you know, when you face some adversity, a lot of time people, you know, are quick to talk about what they want to do and what's what's important to them. But, uh, you know, I told our guys that, uh, you know, my, my pregame talk to them was just to tell them I'm proud of them because their actions showed they were ready to respond. This is the Tiger Football Podcast with Tom Shad, Jeff Calkins, and Phil Stukenborg. All right, what's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Tiger Football Podcast. Got the full crew back in studio here today. Jeff back from Weekend in Northwestern. Phil taking a break from basketball coverage here to be with us. For a few minutes, right? For a, for a quick, yeah. You know, it was interesting. Break. Listening to the, to the Norvell clip on the way in, just listening to the clip that we just played. Yeah. He's an interesting rhetorically because he, in some ways, the way he says it, it feels like it's just cliche, blah, blah, blah. But that's actually like, I think if you actually listen to it, like, I think that's a very sort of insightful thing to say, you know, like that his pregame message was that he was proud of him, like that, you know, that they had done the work. It's it, as I was listening to it, I was ah, coach speak, but but actually, I think it's like an, a, an insightful thing to say that that was his approach to it because they very clearly were challenged. You know, this was, you know, I don't know what where how we rank weeks, but this was crisis week, the, the closest thing that there's been here. Mm-hmm. You couldn't have responded any better than that. That's what I was going to say. How much do you res- how much do you read into that? Because SMU kind of the the book on them going in was this is a much better team. Right, like they go out, they beat Houston, they beat Tulane, they give Tulsa a pretty good game. You think maybe this this is going to be a little bit of a challenge, but then you go out and having been at the game, I mean, it was it wasn't quite as bad as what we saw last year in the sixty three to nothing whatever drubbing, but they still were not very good. So I guess that's my my question to you. I guess to you guys to lead it off is how much do you read into did did Memphis the, the Memphis response? I guess was this, I read a lot the, into it. Yeah, uh, I think. I mean, you have a better sense because you were there as to what, <clears throat> how good or bad they are. But, um, you know, I, yeah, clearly the president fired him up. Uh, George W. have given this pregame. And here we are on election <laughs> day. Key. So that, that was, was the, the key, key to the whole thing. Sure. Uh, we can all come together to agree on that the president fired him up. Right. Um, no, I listen, I, I, I'm going to give him credit because um, – if they'd gone out and stunk it up or lost or whatever else, you still have to execute. You still have to have the day that Riley Ferguson had, you know. And and um, so yeah, I'm not. This is this is not Bowling Green. It's a conference foe that had performed reasonably well. Um, and so I give them all the credit in the world. Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna uh, detract from their victory by saying ah, SMU. Although the crowd, I have to say, that crowd picture you tweeted out was not. To think that they made the cut to 13 and that Memphis didn't. Like, come on, man. What do you people have against Memphis? That was insane. Now, I should clarify. Uh-huh. After that picture was taken, probably about the second quarter. Three people showed up? Filled in a little bit, but it was uh-huh. interesting. They have kind of a cool stadium set up hey, where hey. They, have, they have grass on this one side, and people were just kind of all going and sitting in the grass more than... Anything. Don't be shocked by that. That's how they arrive at games. They, they have tailgating that almost rivals, you know, Ole Miss. It, they, it looked intense. It's unbelievable. It's it's you know it's it's a more organized grove, but the people didn't show up a couple of years ago when I was down. They didn't show up till halftime, 
and and so it was a it was a very they have filling some in nice crowd. facilities there. The basketball facility is yes. loud and fun and beautiful, and they've clearly spent a ton of money there. But, but if I was SMU, I would make sure George Bush does not speak to Memphis the next time they come. Yeah, he, why, what is he, he doing? This is what a second a turncoat. Time. This Texan. is the second time he did it. He did it four years ago, and they beat him four years ago. So I think I would keep him out of the locker room. Interesting nugget from our own Mark Richens after I had written that story. Yeah, that he was in the same fraternity as Fred Smith. FedEx. Yes, he was. So I wonder if that had something. No, to do no, because four years ago, you remember the story? He walked in, and he, the first thing he said is, "Hey, is Fred Smith's boy in here?" Really? Yeah, yeah, that was the deal. <laughs> and so he went. He up was and, at Yale. He was in the same. Yeah. What he was playing skull same and fraternity. bones or something like that, like <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the Memphis people four years ago they asked me, he said, "Hey, uh, you know, George Bush is going to be here. Do you want to go down? We can set it up where you can you can talk to him." And I went, "Well, sure. Why not? I mean, did you talk to the president? Well, they said, "Yeah, come on down. We'll we'll set it up. It's not a problem." They said we could we could bring one person from the media that came with us, and I said, "Yeah, I'll do it." And so I walked down there and I get to the door of the locker room. They said, uh, "You're not coming in." <laughs> the the secret, oh, the secret, secret service. service. Said you're not I don't know in. who told you that, but you're not coming in. You know they hadn't vetted me at all, so you know. So I, you know, there just was, as well. Yeah, needless yeah. to say, I was not. I was not allowed in to, to listen to President <laughs> Bush speak. But Phil, what did you make of their their response? I guess after shocking. After Tulsa? It was shocking to me. That was that was based on what you said earlier and what we had seen. I thought for certain that this was going to be one of those games they're going to have to grind it out and and win with the last possession, and then and then all of a sudden they just they blow them away. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess after the kick return, after they had, they had responded and cut it to a touchdown, then then it was on. It was over. Well, it was weird, kind of the sense that, and, and Mike Norvell talked about this a little bit, just momentum, and this was kind of my morning after, and it's been kind of a working theory of mine, is that they just, when they have momentum, they can build off of it, and they can get it snowballing better than most teams. When it's going the wrong direction, they struggle to kind of reverse it and, and work against it. I think that was the thing, you know, as soon as they – what was it, a two-play scoring drive? They go 31 yards on a screen to Daryl Henderson on the first play, and then they hit Anthony Miller, right. perfectly beautiful throw from Riley. How good do we think Anthony Miller is? He's really, really good. I, I mean, he's so good, and I mean, yet he's not. It's an interesting thing. Like He's so good, it's hard to imagine he's not going to be NFL good. Like, he's yeah. real. Like, he's play after play after play. And he's not huge, and he's not the fastest guy, and he's not so I, I do you have a sense? And by the way, this we can talk about later. What year is he? Redshirt junior. Yeah. yeah. Is there any sense that he's not going to be back? It's premature, but he's so good. Like he is lighting it up consistently. Yeah. What he did. Deep. Yeah. What he did the week before setting all records to sure. me that you were like, you didn't, it didn't seem like that much, but you, when you look back what he did, it was, it was an amazing night. Yeah. Um, in terms of, how good he can be. I mean, I think I don't think there's any question he can be a regular in the league. Um, I think that what he's doing is is the right move in terms of he's he's starting to work on the little things, right? Like he's not athletically a six foot five running four three. Like he's not a, a can't miss prospect. Well, and I think that's why I would likely keep him around is because he's not a guy who um, he's not a six four four two guy who's just a monster. And right. That's what the NFL falls in love with. But, but he's really, I mean, the, the work ethic in practice, and again, I wasn't out at practice all the time last year, but just in practice this year, I mean, he's one of those dudes that just brings it every day. And Norvell has kind of alluded to that the past couple of weeks saying he's had a great, great weeks of preparation. He said last week's practice, like him in practice, was even better than the week before. And that was his best week of practice because it led into the the twelve catches, two hundred fifty yards. So he's a he's a worker. 
Um, I think he has just enough athleticism in terms of his, his speed and, and his route running has really improved, I think, from last year to this year. I think he's just really crisp um, in everything that he's doing there. And he's and he's starting to understand the little things. You know, he's he's on two special teams units. So he's returning punts and then he's covering kicks. And I think that's the kind of little thing that if you're a, a fringe guy, you know, trying to make an NFL roster, like that makes you a little bit more useful if you're, you know, if you're not the star receiver, but you can go down and cover kicks and you enjoy hitting people. You know, that might be the difference between you sticking around as a fourth or fifth wide receiver or being on the practice squad. The other little thing would be um, when you talk about him becoming, we talked about this last week, him becoming or being asked to become more of a leader. Sure. And he said that after the game, uh, he needs to step up. Th- those things, too, I-, I think are huge. And that may also play a part in uh, whether or not you talk about these swings they have. If they don't have the momentum early and they don't get it, that's where you need you need a leader kind of to help kind of step up. And mm-hmm. maybe he's going to take to that role. That could help you. So do you think Riley Ferguson's best game, Tom? I don't think it was better than Bowling Green, but it was, I mean, it's up there. It was certainly one of his best games. Um, And I think the thing, and and Norvell talked about this uh, yesterday in the luncheon, you know, even when things were going really well, there wasn't a sense of complacency with Riley where he was, you know, making wayward throws or he was, he was being smart with the ball. And I think that's, you know, A, he only took two sacks, which I think one of them was just like straight, I think it was, Tate on the left side just got beat one on one and that and that happens you know but he didn't lose the ball on those only took two sacks and then there were a couple where he was rolling out and threw it away those have always been the things that you look for because we we've, we've seen that he can make the throws that he needs to make right, right. like for for Riley it's just always been taking care of the ball and so I think that he was he was good even when he had a little bit of a cushion and maybe could have been a little bit riskier with the ball um to still take care of it I think was a, was an overlooked thing um so yeah, certainly one of his be- better games. I don't know if it was his best. I don't know if it was. Yeah, better I really than look green, forward but. to um, seeing his progress. It's funny to think back on it because during camp, there was actually that one week. Remember, right before, about a week before the the season started, he'd had a couple of really rough practices, and yep. you were wondering if he would what he would be. Mm-hmm. And then, honestly, the first game, I said, "Oh no, 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 no! He can make the throws. He made mistakes." Right. So it's all. But that that's your first year guy who's going to make some force at mistakes plus then the offensive line struggles that they've had. Um, I think one of the really fun things to think about with this program going forward is, is, is Riley Ferguson for another year, but is see the end of this year, but then the growth into an, the, into next year, I think is really th- fun to think about. And um, as you build, someone said to me over the weekend, I said, ah, it's kind of anticlimactic Memphis football. Now they've, they they become bowl eligible, but they're not going to be a New Year's Day. Like, what is there left? And I, what do you mean, what is there left? They become, like, to build on all of this to try to get, I think we all said seven wins. Let's try to make us look stupid by getting to nine wins or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, and to build on this and to create some momentum, there's some real opportunities here with some marquee games down the stretch um, to do some things and to create some momentum into next year. You know, and I, I think there's a big difference between – six wins and stopping which is which is what could happen and eight or nine or ten wins um heading into next year so i think there's still a lot on the table it's impressive with a new quarterback having taken them to six wins you know you're coming off i think when you talk about the the people telling you you know what's left they're used to paxton lynch haven't been here and that you just pick right up you don't you don't it took paxton a few years to get going and and to see what this guy did uh i think it's impressive to be at six wins at this point it's interesting statistically as looking he won the the aac offensive player of the week award or whatever yesterday uh statistically he now leads the conference in touchdown passes 
leads the conference in passing efficiency, um, which factors in completion percentage, touchdowns, turnovers, all that stuff. And then I think he's second in passing yards per game and third in completions per game. So statistically, at a, at a, and a conference that's pretty damn pass happy too. Right, you know, that's in, Dan, a, in a very passing. Dane Evans, Quentin Flowers, Greg Ward Jr. I mean, so statistically, you could make an argument. I'm, I don't know if he's going to. I be was an having to guy, defend but, him on Twitter, not this past game, but the, the two games ago. I was defending him on Twitter because there are people. I'm just ready to move on from. What are you serious? You people, yes, occasionally he makes bad throws. Occasionally he holds on the ball a little long. Like right. those, we understand that that's the. It is his first year, and he's chalked up six wins. And, um, you know, could have seven or eight by the end of the regular season. I wrote this in the morning after on Sunday, but I think there are a lot of little things that you don't notice that Riley does that are huge in terms of like, he knows the offense better than any other player on the field, right? So there are times before a play, if you watch him before a snap, there will be times where somebody will be lined up incorrectly and he'll like a running back is on one side and he's motioning him to the other side or he's going up and changing protections. You know, offensive line has some responsibility with that, but a lot of that's on Riley to make sure that the protections are are set up correctly. There are a lot of little things that he does like that. And just in terms of offensive command, I think that's something that people, you know, it's easy to see a big bomb Here's my or, question, a, though. or a sack. Once but. they go I formation exclusively uh-huh. to Jalen Hurd, uh-huh. how is he going to adapt to the new offense? It'll be interesting. That's a, that's a question for uh, for offensive coordinator Chip Long. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if we were going to bring that up. Are can, we all prepared to say can, that that's a bunch of crap? Jeff, can you do can it? Can I say crap on the podcast? Can, can you do it? Let me hear your Chip Long impersonation. Yeah. So, uh, 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 Jalen, uh, Chip Long here from the University of Memphis. Just tiger up. Tiger, tiger, tiger up. That tiger was up. it, too. The Tiger up was the telltale that it was not a stripe up, damn it. It's stripe up. Stripe them up. It's not tiger up. Bunch of malarkey. Go ahead. I said my piece on this one. Yes, go ahead. I'm going to let it sit there. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned bowl eligibility. Obviously, yes. them, them reaching six wins. That's a big thing, big weight lifted off their shoulders. So now my question is, where are they going to go? And I get asked this now all the time. Right. Where are they going to go to play their bowl game? I, by the way, I think it's a big deal because because they averted the disaster scenario. They deserted, they, they averted the... They got to five, stalled. Then, then you would have had a very different off season. Whatever they've averted the disaster scenario by that—that that was critical. And so now it's just it, really everything from here on out is gravy. It won't be fun if they lose the next three and then lose the bowl game. That wouldn't be great. That wouldn't be ideal. But they're going to a bowl game, and I think that w- that's what matters in terms of the particular bowl. I'll leave that to you, experts, Phil. If you win two or three, Tom, I'm going to take you from the Bahamas back to the Miami Beach Bowl. Interesting. And if that, and if that happens, hey, that, again, that's one of the best bowls you can go to. I haven't been to the Bahamas, but I know you want to go there, but I would think that uh, – I, I saw some projections that had them in Miami if they finished strong. I've seen a lot of Miami. I've seen a lot of Boca Raton. People I think, think that's the – People think fondly of that Miami Beach Bowl. It was a good – it, it, was, it was well done, hey, I thought. That was, that was the best bowl they've been to, I think. New Orleans, really? that first year well, was – New was, Orleans, the first year was the most that, fun. Yeah, but this was really <clears> close just because of the – you know, to be on the beach in December is kind of nice. Well, and right. that was the first year that they'd done it, right? It in, was the very 14. first bowl. So that's what I – you know, just – I think that there's there are a lot of things that you learn as you do a bowl game over and over. You know, like yeah. I think that there are some things that they might change, so it might be even better like, this like, time around. Like, for like the like the post game security, maybe that Where? would be uh, maybe. Miami. Oh, Miami. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Right, right. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm. It's obviously I've been kind of stumping for Bahamas, but uh, 
you know, I, it sounds like Florida is more and more likely. I don't know which which bowl in particular, yeah. but I think Miami between Miami, Boca, um, the Auto Nation Cure Bowl, I think it is in, mm-hmm. in Orlando, um, and then there's the St. Pete Bowl. It's going to be interesting to see how they, you know, some of these teams like USF. You know, let's say USF doesn't make a New Year's Six. Do they want to play in St. Pete? Like, do they want to stay close to home, or does like does UCF want to stay? You know, and play the Cure Bowl in Orlando. Like, is is that a benefit? And or do they want to go somewhere else? So, what do we think of their uh, the what we, now? Here we are. We're two what we once always saw as the gauntlet that would that there would be there at the end. Well, Houston doesn't look quite what we thought Houston was. Cincinnati certainly doesn't look mm-hmm. like Cincinnati sure. uh, lo- looks like, and that was entertaining seeing Tommy Tuberville telling his fans to go to hell. Yeah, and um, <laughs> and uh, and then really this maybe the, who knows? I mean, the, tough, the toughest one. What do we make of these next three? This is the toughest to me on paper. This is the toughest, yeah, without just, question. Just with what they've done, I guess they to beat Navy, the the way they've the run way the they ball, did, yeah, the way they did that with Quentin Flowers and Marlon Mack. I mean, you know, you probably know more of the ins and outs, but that's that's a pretty tough combination. I mean, Marlon Mack has given them trouble, has given Memphis trouble every year that he's played them, and and you think back to last year, like really the turning point for USF was that Memphis game, and it was Memphis's last game before the bye. They, you know, they kind of people were worried they might think ahead to Ole Miss, think ahead to the bye, whatever. Um, ended up, I think they were up twenty four ten, and then they came back. USF scored a late touchdown, twenty four seventeen. That was, and Willie Taggart will tell you this, like that was the game where they really kind of flipped a switch, flipped a switch, and have been on this kind of steamroll since then. But their quarterback, Quentin Flowers, is incredible and he you know everybody talks about greg ward right i mean i think quentin flowers doesn't get nearly enough credit and he's he's made a huge jump this year and then you throw in marlon mack hands down the best running back back in the conference and then their defense i mean their defense gave paxton trouble last year like their defense was we didn't talk about a whole lot but that's a really good defense so this is like hands down the toughest one i don't think i don't think cincinnati is going to be that great this year and i think they're kind of they're spiraling out of control a little bit. Obviously, They've lost four out of five. Cincinnati has, and uh, yeah, things are looking looking grim for our friend Tommy. Yeah, and then I think the Houston. I mean, in terms of kind of the most toss up of the games. I mean, I think Houston is suddenly becoming really interesting because they have all this talent, um, but it's going to be a home game for Memphis, and obviously, there's a lot of bad blood left over from last year. Um, so you wonder if you know Houston's not playing, obviously, for a New Year's Six. What's or, happening with the coaching situation there? Right. So you wonder if there might mm-hmm. if there might be kind of a, a reversal of what happened. The, if you could get two of these to get to eight, huge, and then and then possibly win a win a bowl, not another nine win season. I mean that that's exceeding all expectations. I I think for for this right. team. Yeah. I, yeah. No. I think already the season. I season to me has been a success. Um, and. Um, and they they have kept the momentum going. The only thing that you know is sort of depressing is is the the Big Twelve stuff that came and went. You know, but they had no control over that. And beyond that, I think it's been a immense success. Last question before we get out of here: What are your expectations in terms of the crowd? And I know we didn't talk a whole lot about the Tulsa crowd, but I think it's interesting coming off that. That was the last time they were here. Got rolled over pretty pretty good, but coming off a big win, basketball season's kind of in flux. What what are you guys expecting? Um, I think it'll be there'll be some momentum uh, still. I think there's no no basketball on Saturday, so I think people will still kind of have their minds kind of wrapped around football a little bit. Um, you're going to stay in the thirty thousand crowd. I think thirty to thirty five thousand. I think again. between thirty and thirty five. Yeah. And it's funny, like again, we we get so obsessed with attendance, but when you look around at what other programs do, 
well, people will get upset that there's only 30 or 35 at the at the Memphis game. But you look at what other non-Power 5 conferences games, the, yeah. that's fine. It's that's good. That's what you should rank them it's against, robust. I guess. Yeah. It's robust. It's actually not bad. If you are at 18 or 23 or whatever, then you say, that's ah, a little paltry. you know. But at, at if you're north of 30, I'm perfectly happy with that. Well, yeah, talk about, you're talking about the crowd at SMU and then even a couple weeks, I guess a week before at Houston after they'd gotten oh, beat. People quit, people quit coming. You have this atmosphere at Memphis you know, with, with Tiger Lane, and I think people th- like the – and there's some like momentum. It. Yeah, now, you know, some of it will be weather dependent and everything else. And by then, a whole bunch of us will have moved to Canada, depending, obviously. And <laughs> so uh, – <laughs> <laughs> Whichever party, you know, um, but uh, no, I expect 30 to 35. Yeah, that was the one thing I was thinking at SMU, and we talk about it all the time, but how large the Liberty Bowl is and how 35 can look different there than like too bad. SMU. I mean, it would it would have been a, a crazy atmosphere if you put a normal Memphis crowd in there. So yeah, be interesting to see um, you guys give USF a chance or uh, give Memphis a chance against USF. What do you think? A chance? Uh, it's a football game. Sure. Why give oh, yeah. them a chance? I mean, yeah, but. Yeah, if they play like they did last, you know, last week. Yeah. Pick them. I, I expect another kickoff return for a touchdown <laughs> at this point. Tied for the, the national lead at this point. That's, the three. that's hilarious. It is. How much Tempered of it is ball. because they're better at it, and how much of it is just the luck of the way things break? Both. Both. I think it's a little bit of I both. thought your point, by the way, Tony Pollard getting more touches was a good one. Um, mm-hmm. Guy's electric. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we will uh, be back next week, dissect the USF game and uh, trudge forward here into the stretch run of the season. Thanks again for listening. Take the CA wherever you go. Download the Commercial Appeal app on your smartphone or tablet and get push alerts when breaking news happens. It's a free download for your iPhone and iPad in the Apple App Store and in the Google Play Store for your Android device. This is the Commercial Appeal.